The stories we tell communicate who we are and what we value. Each episode, we consider a different story from our perspective as women. From murder ballads to fairy tales, we discuss the power these stories have over us all. This is our history, both real and imagined, told through the eyes of today. This is Femlore. Hey, Min. Hi, Rach. Oh my gosh, today I have a really upsetting but kind of amazing story that you probably don't haven't heard of. Yeah. I well, you know, I I looked at the show notes, I so I've heard of it are. now. You know, spoiler alert. But <laughs> I hadn't before. I, I think I had heard the name mm-hmm. of the story, but I didn't actually know. Um, and I'm really excited too because we have an awesome guest lined up for I today. know. We have a lot of surprises today that you're not surprised about, but our guests should or our our listeners. Our listeners <laughs> should be very surprised about. We so, hope so, yeah. yeah. Um, so today I'm going to be telling you a story called Lieutenant Nunn, and it's actually based on a real person, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. And we'll get into the story with Anna North, which is so cool. Um, but before that, as you know that we always do this every week, um, we paired this story with a nonprofit. Um, this is a nonprofit that Anna actually picked for us. So I just really quickly want to tell you what that is. Great. The nonprofit is the Okra Project. Um, And it's a collective that seeks to address the global crisis faced by Black trans people by bringing home-cooked, healthy, and culturally specific meals and resources to Black trans people wherever we can reach them. So it seems like a really great, uh, a great nonprofit, and the show will be making a donation, and we hope you do too. Love it. The website to make the donation is www.theokraproject.com. And we'll link to them on Instagram and stuff too. So great. All right, let's get into it. So just a note for our listeners, in this story, we're going to be using she, her as uh, Catalina's pronouns, as we don't know what pronoun they would have preferred since gender categories change over time. And this is, you know, and cross-culturally. But of course, you want to remember that gender is a construct. So without further ado, let's get into it. The Lieutenant Nun. Born in San Sebastian, Spain in 1585, Catalina de Arauso had very few options for what kind of life she would lead. At the age of four, her parents put the young Catalina in a Dominican convent. She soon gained a reputation for being irascible. And as she grew, many accounts called her physical appearance, quote, stocky and manlike. At 15, she refused to take her vows to become a nun. And after being beaten by an older woman of the cloth, she decided to escape. While on the run, she fashioned boys' clothes and cut her hair short. Shortly after, she entered the service of a relative who did not recognize her. She decided to leave the service of her relative when they traveled to Valladolid, the city that hosted the court of King Philip III of Spain. She, now Francisco de Loyola, became a page for the king's secretary. In her memoir, she details a conversation with her father, seeking an audience with her boss, the secretary, regarding her disappearance. Her father did not recognize her, but she was worried she may be found out, so she left the service of the king's secretary and ended up in Estella as a page. After her two-year tenure in service to the Lord, she returned to her hometown for a year, never being recognized, even attending mass at the church where she was once in the convent. In 1603, she decided it was time to embark on an adventure in Spanish America. During her time in the Americas, she crisscrossed the colonial geography engaging in many battles. 
She confronted and defeated the Dutch pirates in Venezuela, survived bad weather that killed many of her company and saved her boss, swimming him to safety after their ship sank off the coast of Ecuador. She also admits to killing her uncle who traveled with her. After saving her lord from certain death, she was given three enslaved people and enough money to be rich. However, this would come to an end as she would once again be a fugitive. Her short temper got the best of her and she cut the face of a man who insulted her. It seemed the only way to assuage the disagreement was to marry a relation of his. Worried about being found out, she refused, eventually finding her way to Lima, where she entered the military. Her company marched into Chile, where it is said she killed many native peoples. She participated in many battles to conquer lands on behalf of the Spanish crown. She made the rank of second lieutenant, but was unable to go any further as men in her company complained that she treated the native people too poorly. After leaving the service, she went on a killing spree, killing as many men as she could while on the road. Her rampage culminated in the assassination of the auditor of the town of Conception, for which she was locked up for six months. She also eventually killed her brother due to a quarrel over a woman. At the time, her brother, who did not recognize her, was the secretary of the governor of Chile. She escaped across the Andes and was taken in by a villager. She promised marriage to the woman's daughter, but fled before she could make good on the promise. At this point, she killed a few more men and was sentenced twice to death. She found a way again to flee to Peru. This was short-lived, however. She again was arrested in Peru, where she confessed that she was a woman to the bishop and begged him for mercy. After confirming that she was indeed a woman and a virgin, she was sent back to Spain, where she became known as the lieutenant nun. While in Spain, she asked King Philip to be compensated for her time in his service. She also met with Pope Urban in order to ask permission to continue to dress like a man. She was granted this, citing her virginal status and her defense of the Catholic faith in the New World. After receiving both her compensation and permission from the Pope, she went back to New Spain where she retired and eventually died in 1650. Oh man, man. So I just told you the wildest story that you've probably heard in a long time about this this woman who went across the ocean and did all these things. Um, and guess what? What? We have a guest with us today to discuss this. I know. I can't wait. We actually have Anna on the line. Yeah. Anna North, the author of Outlawed, which is an incredible book. I've read it. I liked it a lot. Um, It was a very, very good read, and I recommend it highly to everybody. So hi, Anna. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Hi. Welcome. Um, We would love to hear what you think about the story, and we'll get to the discussion. But first, Anna, do you want to take a moment and introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, again, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening um, to all of you who are listening. Um, my name is Anna North. Um, I am a senior reporter at Vox, so I'm a journalist um, where I cover a variety of things, um, including uh, including sort of care work. Um, in the pandemic, I've been focusing a lot on reproductive health care, but also on child care, elder care, um, domestic work, labor issues. Um, I sort of was hired at Vox as the gender reporter, which, um, you know, is like a complicated title that can mean a lot of things, um, but especially in the last year, I've been focusing a lot sort of on the concept of care. Um, and then I'm also a novelist, um, as was mentioned. So um, I'm the author of three novels, um, America Pacifica, which came out in 2011, uh, Life and Death of Sophie Sark, that came out in 2015, um, and Outlawed, um, which came out in uh, 2021, just in January. Um, Outlawed is one way to think of it is as a feminist Western or as a revisionist Western. Um, and actually the story that we're talking about today, um, was in some ways a big inspiration for the book. So I'm really excited to talk about it more. 
Yay. Welcome, welcome. Excited to get into it. So um, I just really quickly at a high level, I kind of wanted to dig into how Lieutenant Nunn kind of influenced your book and the main character, because I did see some overlap with um, Ada and and kind of how, she, you know, she was kind of pushed into this world, sort of, but she's more on a quest than I thought Lieutenant Nunn is. So I'd just love to hear um, kind of what, what you think and, and why, why you use Lieutenant Nunn as, a, as sort of an inspiration or an idea around, around your book. Yeah, totally. So um, when I was very, very first starting to write Outlawed, um, one of the first things I was trying to figure out was, was the setting. And I sort of had in my mind that I was going to write about a group of people who um, you know, were sort of marginalized by society. And I also was really interested in sort of ideas around gender and also around reproduction and fertility and infertility. Um, ended up that in, in the final version of Outlawed, um, it's about sort of an alternate history that in 1895, um, when reproduction is so highly prized that if you're infertile, you might actually be hanged as a witch. And so we follow Ada, who's a woman who, um, you know, she gets married and after a year of marriage, she's not pregnant and she's deeply stigmatized and sort of has to figure out how to keep herself safe. Um, she ends up actually joining up with a gang of outlaws, which we can talk about more. Um, but like at the beginning of this story, at the beginning of my journey toward writing this, um, you know, I had a vague idea of some of the issues I wanted to explore, but I didn't really know quite how I was going to do it. Um, but I was thinking about, you know, people that sort of live separately from society and they might be on the margins. And I started thinking about outlaws. Um, and then I started thinking about Westerns. And this is all like kind of a circuitous route, but I think it's going to start to make sense in a second because I, I wasn't reading a lot of traditional Westerns. Um, but I was reading some things that turn out to be Western adjacent, and one of those was actually Lieutenant Nunn, um, the memoir. And so, you know, it's obviously, it's not set in, you know, like Wyoming or the Dakotas, where my book is set. Um, but it's the story of someone who grows up in Spain, and this person, um, you know, and I kind of go back and forth in terms of, like, the pronouns that I use to describe Lieutenant Nunn, because I think, like, they might have used different pronouns throughout their life. Um, you know, mm -hmm. certainly when they were living as a man, probably used he. Mm -hmm. Other times living in a convent, probably using she. Um, but anyway, it's this person who grows up in Spain, um, you know, clearly, like, pushes against the strictions of their time, doesn't want to be a nun, doesn't want to get married, um, decides to live as a man and goes to the quote-unquote new world, right? Like, they go west. Um, they go to, again, like, quote-unquote frontier space, where they actually are afforded a lot of freedom to live in the way that they want to, to present as a man. Um, and then also kind of like becomes an outlaw and does all these crimes and, you know, sort of living this swashbuckling existence. The story was really fascinating to me. And I came to think of it as kind of this like quasi Western um, and including some of the problems of the Western genre, which we can also talk about. But so like, even though it's not cowboy hat, <laughs> weed, um, it became this inspiration for me in that way. Wow, yeah. I love it. And one quick thing that I wanted to hit on too, because you mentioned that, so you had read through Lieutenant Nunn's um, memoirs, and we forgot to mention that earlier that, yeah, I mean, a lot of this story is known because Lieutenant Nunn wrote memoirs mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. everything that they did. And yep. um, 
yeah, just thanks for bringing that up. Because I think that that's so interesting, too. Like, this isn't just something where people were telling stories about Lieutenant Nunn. Like, this is actually written. Yeah. And they, they <laughs> so, told their own side, yeah. which is interesting. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Well, I love that. I think it's definitely, you know, Western adjacent in that, like, I love how you kind of tied it together. And the fact that, yeah, how unfortunate that women and oftentimes even I think still today, sometimes it takes like going away from where you're from to truly be able to do what you want to do. And I am not in any means like an outlaw or something, but I just, I even resonated with that because I think I grew up in a very like kind of small town, you know, more rural and, you know, kind of the, the goals there growing, it was like, you know, get married, white picket fence, have the kids, those sorts of things. But I really found myself, um, you know, and not quite the same journey at all, but really finding myself and becoming who I wanted to be once I got away. And I truly learned about myself and stepping away from those things. So that's really cool, I think, to think about how we all can even connect to this story. Um, yeah, and I mean, it's I, it's like really fascinating to me that this is a memoir. Um, you know, it's, it's very short. Um, and I read it in English, but um, but it's obviously originally in Spanish, I think. Um, we can fact check that because it might even be in Basque. Um, but um, it's so fascinating because it also means that this is a person who like, this is the way that they wanted to tell their story. And like, we don't know, you know, sometimes it seems like they might be bragging a little bit, like some mm-hmm. of the exploits might be exaggerated. Um, you know, we can certainly talk about the ways like they might be kind of skewing their own story, but I think that's just like a really fascinating element too, that like, this is, this is the way they wanted their history to be written down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we did see that when we talked about Pocahontas and how John Smith lied a lot. And, uh, you know, in, in like, that's pretty clear that, that he lied a lot. He like couldn't have been in the places that he said he was in. Um, so it's interesting yeah. to think about uh, kind of sharing your own history. But we, we almost never get, you know, we have a lot of history from the male perspective, um, but we don't have a lot from any other perspectives, really, um, looking back at the, you know, in history. Um, so it's very interesting to get somebody who may be bragging, maybe not, but it's great that it's from their own perspective, um, which is which is definitely totally. different, uh, for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, so we definitely, we, I don't know, when I was hearing this story, I think one of the things that really stood out to me is that nobody recognized Lieutenant nope, Nunn? It's a Superman situation. <laughs> we get these all the time. It's a Superman situation. I just, glasses come off. What were your no thoughts that on that, Anna? Yeah, totally. Like, oh, glasses off. That's it. Who, that, who is that? That's a completely different person. But, you know, and the only, I kept going back to, I think, um, didn't it say that um, they were sent away at age four and left the... Yeah, um, that's so, you know, four to 15, if seen, people, yeah. I don't know how much they were seeing their parents or brothers and knowing that she had a brother that was in um, Chile and just thinking about, you know, but that really stood out to me all these times when she was working for a family member or doing this and that and nobody recognized her. Mm-hmm. That part was really wild. I know it's, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. She definitely runs into like, you know, multiple family members or people she knows well or like at least that are close with her family um, or their family or his family. However, like this person is sort of living at the time. Um, and, and yeah, they never recognized her. They never recognized him. Um, I think um, to some degree, I, I almost wonder if that's like, if, if that's like very exciting to dare also to Lieutenant Nunn, like if, if it's, if like this feels like, Oh wow, it's working. Like I'm able to live this totally other life. Like yeah. I'm not, that person anymore, like that little girl that was born to this family and sent away to the convent. I'm this totally other person. 
and now even my own brother doesn't recognize me. Um, I mean, it may, it may also be as simple as like, yeah, they were sent away when they were really little. And so, um, and like maybe, you know, maybe, yeah, nobody visits the convent. I mean, I know, um, you know, I think at the time it was like pretty common to send away daughters to a convent and then like maybe they would marry from there or maybe they would just stay there and live out their days as nuns. And so, you know, perhaps it was common to kind of like forget about them a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I mean, the other thing too that we can think about is like, and this is even still true today, but I would imagine like even more in, you know, 1600, um, the ways that people just get conditioned to think of gender as so important to someone's appearance, you know, like, you know, suddenly someone is presenting as a man and you might just like glaze over the fact that they look a lot like a woman that, you know, Mm -hmm. um, just because society is so gendered. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like even more so in, in Spain or in Peru and Ecuador and in like 1600, so hundreds of years ago. Right. No, totally. And even thinking about, you know, how she's described from a young age as having like actually being strong. So mm-hmm. that in and of itself was like, oh, so she's mannish. And I think it just like builds into all of that, how we do perceive and, you know, people already putting people in labels and boxes. So yeah, to your point of like glazing over and just being like, oh, well, I wouldn't even think about that being her because that's a man, you know, to somebody seeing this. And um, yeah, thank you for bringing up that point. But Mm -hmm. there's just so much in here, too, I think. Um, And Rachel, I don't know if you want to kind of talk about this one, but just the whole concept, too, of like that women can be ruthless, which I think, you know, builds into the gender norms and constructs that people. It goes against that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this this story is extremely interesting because I think we can all agree that she that they are not a good person. I mean, they've killed <laughs> a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, they've they've uh, enslaved people. I mean, they are clearly not the the hero or the you know traditional hero, right? Um, a lot of their actions are not something that I you know I necessarily like or agree with. But I think this story, at a high level, um, taken away from that, kind of helps to to talk about women in less of this like nurturing motherly kind of role and starts to you know put them in a in in a different light I think um and and that's something that I do like this story for though I really really can't I really don't like her (laughs) at all I don't like them at all I think you know they they basically were just you know destructive you know they were this destructive force that was hurting other people and enslaving people I mean it's not something that I can relate like it it's hard to kind of think about you know um because in some ways they were so free but in others they were they were actually holding up the status quo uh by by um presenting as a man right um and i think you can see that kind of in in um at least in america in our history um and women's suffragettes and things like that where you know there was an exclusion there right there was a status quo that is specifically white women were upholding and I think, and it damaged other people, right? Um, and in some ways, that's exactly what Catalina is doing, right? Um, they are they are kind of keeping the status quo, being very violent <laughs> during that status quo, um, while keeping that status quo. But I do think that it's a very, com- it's a complex kind of feeling, which um, in some ways I hate, but in some ways I respect. So I don't know how to how to kind of, yeah, I don't know how to how to handle that. But I'm wondering, Anna, if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, there's so many layers here. I think this is the reason why the story is so fascinating. I mean, like, on the one hand, I think, you know, it does sort of encourage us to think through, like, you know, ideas of, like, you know, our 
about women being nurturing or, or you know, being naturally peaceful or whatever that, you know, we, we have plenty of other examples to know that's not necessarily true. It's also a question, I mean, it's like a really interesting question that we can't know the answer to, like, was this person a woman? You know, like, mm-hmm. it's like if they were alive today, like, you know, would this person have transitioned and be living as a man, you know, or, or is it in fact, you know, because Catalina, like, sometimes she lives as a woman, sometimes she lives as a man, like, is, is, is that like, you know, would they be non-binary? You know, would they be living in different ways at different times? Like, I think, like, we can't, like, we kind of can't reach back in history and, and know the answers to those questions. Right. But, you know, they're, it's really interesting to ask. Um, and, um, but, you know, then to your point about, like, how they're bad, like, yeah. Like, you know, I was just sort of rereading this and just remembering how many people, when he's living as a man, he kills. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so so many stabbings in this book in this memoir um and including at one point his own brother um and then beyond that like enslaved people um you know he's also he's a racist like he makes makes racist comments in the memoir you know that are in his his own words um and then later on there's also there's like sexist comments like you know um he there's a point where um you know, I think he's living as a man at this point and passes by some, like, sex workers and, you know, makes a sort of, like, derogatory comment and even threats them. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's I, one thing that really, like, made this story stick in my mind and made me think about it so much is it's a story of someone who, like, gains a certain kind of freedom. To some degree, that freedom comes at a cost for other people, right? Mm-hmm. So this is a person that gains the freedom to live in the way that they want with respect to gender presentation for a long time. Um, and to do that, in some ways, they have to go to the new world. Um, I mean, may, there's some suggestion that maybe they could have stayed in Spain and still lived as a man, but, like, it clearly kind of helps that they go someplace um, where, although they do keep running into people they know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, where, like, the, the rules of Spain aren't the same and don't totally apply as much. Like, I think it helps. Um, but then also in the new world, right, they are a colonizer. Like they go, they right. get in, they, you know, they're in, in wars with indigenous people that are mentioned. They, they own enslaved people, um, you know, using their labor without pay. Um, and they have the attitudes of a colonizer of, you know, of like racist attitudes. And so it's sort of, I mean, and we see that in the American West too, where we actually do see like, you know, the Western sort of territories become in some ways bases of freedom, like for white women, like white women actually get the vote, um, you know, in some Western states before they get it anywhere else. Um, but black, that doesn't mean that black people are free to vote in those states um, or that indigenous people are able to vote, um, you know, and obviously like the very, you know, the very existence of, um, you know, white people in the American West is, is an existence of colonialism. So, you know, any of these freedoms are sort of taking place on soul land. So all of that is kind of swirling around in this memoir. And it's definitely like a lot to unpack and a lot to think about. But I think, um, yeah, I mean, I guess for me, like my dominant emotion is like, I can be very, I can be very fascinated by this person's story without thinking like, I would want to be like this person or emulate them, you know, Mm -hmm. like we can say like, wow, this like unpacks so much for us about history and gender um, and race and colonialism, 
um, but not necessarily be like, you go, like definitely like stab some more guys, (laughs) you know? Totally. We will not be saying that on this show, on this this episode for sure. I mean, I I think, um, but you know, there is something interesting in that complexity, like you say, and I think that's, um, you know, examining these, these people who lived before us in a, in a very um, kind of close way and understanding that this is an interesting perspective, but also being very, um, very intense on making sure that we talk about those those issues that they do also bring up, right? Um, so it's interesting that they lived as a man and and they presented as a man and they were able to have a life of freedom. But also, let's not forget that that life of freedom was, as you said, an, at the expense of other people mm-hmm. um, continuously. So I think it's it's a very it's a very interesting story, and I think it it creates a lot of discussion. But on top of that, I mean, I think we're told a lot that. Um, the lieutenant nun is very strong, right? Um, and, and you know, ruthless and all these things. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering kind of what you think about that. And, and specifically, you know, we t- Mindy and I talk about this a lot, this idea of strength. And strength in the kind of in the Western mindset, at least, is very masculine, um, I think, in like in the way that we think about strength. And I just wondered if you had any thoughts about that and kind of the lieutenant nun in general. And, you know, it seems like she or sorry, it seems like they kind of conform to the this idea of strength of like strong being masculine. Um, and I just wondered if you had any thoughts around that or, or like what you thought about that. Um, totally. Yeah. I mean, I saw, I, I saw this question like in the show notes beforehand and I was thinking actually about all the discourse around Arya Stark and Sansa Stark, um, when Game of Thrones was on, um, you know, and like, if, if you remember, um, there was sort of like, you know, and I mean, obviously that show has, has all of its problems, but I think, you know, definitely like sparked a lot of interesting conversations, um, back when it was on. And one of them was, um, you know, if you remember Arya Stark, um, was sort of, um, you know, one of the younger Stark siblings and she, um, you know, is someone who also kind of embodies this like swashbuckling ideal. So like early on in the show, she rejects, she doesn't want to be a lady. She doesn't want to like wear pretty dresses. There's no real suggestion in the show. I haven't read the book. There's no suggestion really that she's trans. Like she lives as a woman. She uses she pronouns, but she doesn't want to be ladylike, feminine in certain ways. Like she wants to learn to fight. Um, and then, you know, over the course of the show, she, you know, goes and she learns swordplay and all this stuff. And, I think initially the reception of that character was really positive and people were like, oh, she's so cool. Like there was even like people naming their daughter Aria after her. Um, and she has a sister, Sansa, who, I mean, again, I feel like I'm explaining this, like, you know, millions and maybe billions of people have watched this show, but this <laughs> sort of was like the discourse. Um, you know, so Sansa did want to be traditionally feminine, that she did like be dresses that she wanted to marry. She wanted to be a princess. Um, those decisions ended up getting her in trouble at different times. So there was a sort of, like, initially with the show, people were like, Arya's cool and Sansa, like, you know, like, kind of sucks. And then there was real pushback of saying, like, well, why are we assuming that necessarily, you know, that rejecting femininity is, like, the cool or good thing mm-hmm. to do and that, like, it's inherently bad to be feminine or that, I mean, like, maybe Sansa makes some bad decisions, but, like, is wearing dresses really one of them, like, right. sort of pushing back on that. And I think that discourse also happened around the same time that Arya Stark started, like, becoming an especially bloodthirsty killer, um, you know, certainly on the level of, like, um, but I think about that. I think about sort of, like, I have fallen victim to this. Like, mm-hmm. I often, you know, like, I like a good adventure story. And, like, certainly when I first read this memoir, I was like, whoa, you know, like, it's like, it's like they're, like, 
you know, Lieutenant Nunn is like a pirate or something. Um, but then the question of like, well, is that good? Or like, you know, why, like, you know, are we valuing, like, are, are we valuing sort of strength and even killing above things that we think of as like feminine or womanly? And then like what kind of internalized misogyny is involved if we're doing that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And even that all of that is around, you know, physical strength. I mean, I guess, you know, there's mental strength, I'm sure that was needed, but like, it's really around physical strength and like harming others where I think, too, to be a woman of that time had to be, there's just so many things where you'd need um, strength. I mean, I myself am pregnant and thinking about giving birth at that time. And like, you know, (laughs) that's just a whole other thing. But yeah, that's just super interesting of how we do interpret strength. Because when I first was hearing about the story, I had the same reaction, like, oh, wow, you know, this like swashbuckling, you know, adventure and all of these things. But um, kind of coming back from the strength and thinking of women at that time, something else that really stood out with me is um, how many different marriage proposals were given. And it just made me think about the fact that, you know, so many people were willing to have their daughters married off to Lieutenant Nunn, even not knowing who they were, Mm -hmm. or like, all these horrible things that they had done, but just because that was what gave women value being married, you know, for the for the most part, for women other than Lieutenant Nunn, who was able to, you know, pass as a man and go live more freely. But just thinking about all these women along the way that were kind of offered up because that was how they would get, you know, their value. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a big, um, a big thread that runs through. It's like daughters are continually offered to the Lieutenant Nunn, often like, you know, with little provocation or with not having known the lieutenant on for very long. I think some of that in some instances comes from like, especially in, um, you know, when, when they're in Peru and Ecuador, like then the lieutenant on is a Spaniard. And so like, if, if they meet other Spaniards, then they're like very excited to marry off their daughters to another Spaniard, um, you know, and sort of that's, you know, colonialism coming into play. Um, but yeah, I mean, we even see it like, right. We see in Lieutenant Nunn's own story that like, um, you know, they're born and like shipped off to a convent where they'll await their, their maybe husband or just like live there forever. And there aren't a lot of other options. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting to read this memoir and just look at the, the, the women that are on the sidelines because there are a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, what are their lives like? And like, if they, if they wrote a memoir, what would that be like? Totally. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, then the other big piece kind of thinking about this that is more towards the end. But, you know, as we know, virginity is a construct, but even the construct of how then Lieutenant Nunn was able to use her own virginity to basically save her. Like that this part is so fascinating. Yeah. So fascinating. Totally. There's Go just, on, there's sorry. no, I just, honestly, I was even trying to just capture everything running through my mind because I'm like, where do we start? I mean, with there's this no one? way. There's, yeah. It's, yeah. I just, uh, Every, all the bad things roll. that you did, uh, like, also, that like you're a virgin. How, how could you, I, there's no way to prove that. We can just say that that's not a thing. It's not totally. true. So, like, it, look it up. It's not a thing. But, like, what, what what did she do to prove? Like, okay, I just I just have so <laughs> many questions and I'm, like, very uncomfortable with them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. did she just, like, go to the Pope and was like, look, I promise. And then he was like, yeah, great. Or, like, what? I just... Well, and it probably ugh. just, like, hearing that word, I mean, was enough. He's like, oh, okay. Like, uh, so, that's, that's what I was going to say, too. Like, forget all the things that, 
Lieutenant Nunn did. Mm -hmm. That was enough. Like, oh, you're a virgin. So like, I'll forgive everything. But I guess too, I mean, she was fighting in the name of Spain, right? So she got compensated too for all of the battles. So I think both of those things were seen as good, but the virginity piece is... I mean, the virginity piece is very, like, that is very much put on women, right? If he, if she, if, uh, if Lieutenant Nunn, if they were a man, like, you know, from birth, um, not how they presented, but then there would be no question. She, they wouldn't have to prove their virginity. That's only on a woman. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and that like, I, I mean, at the base level, that's deeply sexist and very, and just like very problematic. So that's just, we can just leave that there for now and just leave it in the problem corner. But then also like that she's, she's able to save herself with so much misogyny. It just feels like it feels like Lieutenant Nunn is forward thinking in a lot of ways, but then they use an old construct, maybe against the church to actually save themselves. I don't know. There's a lot there. Anna, do you have any thoughts? I mean, totally. So I think like I, I think it's so interesting to think about like, you know, virginity is and like what does virginity even mean in the context of this person's life? Because like um, and I mean, different scholars have sort of said different things about the memoir, but definitely, like, there there are intimacies of various kinds described that Lieutenant Nunn has with women, like, in across their journey. So, like, you know, clearly the virginity that, you know, she, like, and she presents this when she's living as a woman. She's like, I'm a woman, and I'm an intact virgin, so I should be allowed to, like, re-enter a convent clearly like the virginity that she's presenting then is she's saying like I've never had penetrative sex with a man right mm-hmm. like that's that's her claim and that like that may well be true based on her like we don't have any reason to doubt that based on what she's saying mm-hmm. um but there's a lot of suggestion that when he's living as a man that he's certainly doing some stuff with women like there's I was just reading this there's a scene where like he gets kicked out of like one living situation that he's in because he's flirting too much with the daughters and there's a scene where, like, he like he has his head in one of the daughter's laps and he gets caught. So, like, what's going on there? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, because this is from so long ago, like, we can't know, like, and nothing is really explicit enough that we're like, you know, yes, like, sex is definitely taking place here. And there's no, um, like, it's not clear enough, like, you know, what would this person's sexual orientation be if they were living today? Um, but there's lots and lots of suggestions that they are attracted to women, that they have flirtations with women, maybe more. Well, didn't it say that... Sorry, but didn't it say that they killed their brother in a quarrel over a woman, too? That was one that stood out to me. I think that's right, yeah. So it's definitely, like, you know, like, attraction to women to some degree, like, plays a big role in the story. And so that makes this question of virginity even more interesting because it's, like... Certainly, like, the virginity that, like, you know, the church cares about, like, probably, you know, yes. <laughs> like, that's, like, probably Lieutenant Nunn is a virgin by that standard, but then, like, you know, there may well be a lot of other standards at play here, and, like, we can't know exactly what their sex life was like, but, like, you know, it just, like, it just brings up all these interesting issues about, like, what was virginity, you know, so long ago, what is it today, what does that even mean? I, I think it, I think it's sort of, um shows the sort of like you know shifting in multiple meanings of the term Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. definitely oh I love that I love that thinking about virginity not just I mean it's deeply problematic so I won't get into that but I mean just thinking of it also as like one kind of sex right one kind of um, intimacy uh that's pretty 
That's pretty crappy as well. I mean, it's already crappy, but we'll just throw that in the pile of crap that has to occur. <laughs> virginity, right? So uh, that's a very interesting point, and I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's very. I mean, it makes it even more upsetting to think about what she, what kind of, what kind of standard they were held to, right? Um, in in well, and I think time. we still see that standard today for yeah, sure. Totally. Um, Man, yeah. Well, there is just so much in this story. And this is such a great discussion. I don't mean to like, force us to an end. I just wanted to kind of pause and say, like, are there any other big topics we kind of want to discuss? I know. um, I I just wanted to mention one thing. Yes, that uh, I did appreciate in the book, um, Anna, that you have, I, I think it's Agnes. Is that right? Who wears a dress, but then is using her power in a way that's definitely different from some of the other outlaws. I just wanted to mention that because we had talked about strength in women. And so I definitely saw that in your book, which is which is really cool. It was a very interesting, uh, interesting way to kind of think about femininity and like, you know, women across the spectrum. And it was just a really cool, cool, uh, cool little piece. I just wanted to mention that uh, because I thought it was a really good. Love it. Good, good piece. Yes, yes. And Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I just I was gonna say like, yeah, please <laughs> jump in, Anna. Um, yeah, I mean, um, Agnes Rose is a really fun character for me to write. And she is a character. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, in Outlawed, um, you know, there's there's a whole gang of, of outlaws. And um, they're mostly women or non-binary. Um, but because it's not like really a safe world for women to travel on their own. Um, a lot of times they dress and present as men. Um, and sometimes they do that because that's actually how they might prefer to present in one case, in the case of, um, the kid mm-hmm. who is the leader of the gang. Um, the kid is someone who, you know, like probably today, like would be identified as non-binary. Um, you know, in the world of the book, the kid doesn't use pronouns. The kid just goes by the kid. Um, and the kid you know, usually dresses, um, in a more masculine way. Um, but then there's this one character, Agnes Rose, um, and she actually never, like almost never dresses in men's clothing. Um, and actually sort of makes her way in the gang and in the world as a con artist. Um, and when I was thinking about her, like one, one thing I did want to do is I wanted to have, you know, maybe someone in the gang who does continuously present in a more feminine way, um, just kind of explore that. And I also wanted to give a nod to the fact that, so, um, the gang in my book is actually based on the real life hole in the wall gang. Um, so Butch Cassidy, the Sundance kid, and there were many different members at different times and they, they really lived that hole in the wall in Wyoming. Um, but they were mostly men. Um, so, you know, it's more of sort of like the outlaws that you think about in Western movies. Um, but at the same time, there were some women in the gang. Uh, there's a woman named Laura Bullion who, uh, you know, came in and out at different times and was involved with, I think, some members of the gang. Um, you know, but certainly an outlaw in some ways in her own right. Um, and she was nicknamed, I think at some time, Ernie Rose. Um, and that was sort of where the idea for Agnes Rose came from a little bit. Um, but, um, but yeah, sort of wanted to give a nod to the fact that, uh, you know, there were, there were female outlaws in, in the American West, um, alongside of men. Yeah. And I, I just love the one, there's one line that I couldn't stop thinking about when I was reading the book. And, um, the, the main character Ada is, is coming back from a, they, they, put somebody to sleep I won't I I don't want to go into the details because I want people to read it but um she's talking to her um you know to act I think it's anyway she's talking to members of the gang um and they're asking her what she you know what she likes and she doesn't have she didn't even think that she had a choice in what she likes when it comes to uh, like who she would be interested in 
And um, one of the one of the characters says, well, it's too bad you don't like women because they're a lot safer. And I was like, dang, <laughs> that is um, that is an incredible line. And actually, very, like, especially for that time. But I mean, like you, you think about statistics today and that's that's not not true. I mean, that's very that's a very interesting kind of. Um, sentiment to have and and I actually like it took me a minute to 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 like kind of recover from that from that line I yeah. thought it was just a really good a uh, really good some summary of like you know how women are afraid and we're seeing that today and in, in some of the news that's that I mean that we all as women are aware of right we already know but um, news that are come that's coming out about men and and their power and or like doing things that are not okay. And obviously, you know, there's a lot there. And I think we as women having that lived experience, we already, we don't need to talk about it because we already have probably all experienced it. But I think it's just very interesting because I, I feel like that's true even when it's not coming to a sexual partner, right? Just in general, I feel a lot more safe with women mm-hmm. um, than I do with a, a room full of men, even though those men could be people I know. I mean, it just, it's just, it was just such a powerful um, line and it really stuck with me. So. Well, and it stood out too, just even Anna, when you were just speaking and talking about how sometimes they would dress as men like for safety and thinking Mm -hmm. about if you were, you know, traveling or something to be more protected as a man, because then you'd be treated a different way. So it's just, yeah, such an incredible book Mm -hmm. and we are highly recommended. Yes. So thankful to have you with us today and um, for all the work that you do, you know, and being a, did you say the title is gender reporter? And um, is that right? Yeah, it was. I mean, now it's just like senior reporter at Vox. Um, I was like, gender reporter was sort of my beat for a long time. Well, I'm just like happy that that exists, you know, like (laughs) that we have people like you that are leading the charge and talking about these things and, um, you know, really just helping to, um, yeah, try to push things forward and And tell um, tell stories. Yeah, exactly. And even just being able to bring to light looking at the history. I mean, this is, these are not new things, you know, like this existed and for people to know too, because I think, I don't know. Sometimes you hear ignorant people be like, well, I don't remember seeing or knowing about this like back in my day. And it's like, well, no, it's there. always yeah, there. It like always it there. just, um, yeah, gender norms have always been, you know, trying to put people in boxes and hold them back. So mm-hmm. um, as much as we don't like that fact, we love talking about it, helping to, um, yeah, have these great conversations. So we're, again, we're just so thrilled that you were with us and um, we really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much. This is really great. This is such a great talk. Awesome. Well, we'll post about this on Instagram. You can follow us at Femlar Podcast there. Um, and be sure to tell your friends, share this um, incredible episode, tell them to take a listen wherever you find your podcasts. And uh, read the book. Read yes. out loud. It's out great. Loud. Highly <laughs> recommended. Bye. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode, but you can always find us on Instagram at Femlore Podcast or visit us online at femlore.com. We love what we do, but we can't do it without you. Your listens, shares, and reviews keep us going, so please tell your friends about us. Femlore is produced by Mindy Scott, Rachel Marr, Aaron Crossland, and Lauren Crossland Marr. Audio engineering and music by Aaron Crossland, research and coordination by Lauren Crossland Marr, and as always, canine support provided by Andy and Cody. Ow!